It's been a while. What's going on? Happy off-season. Nick Kirby here. Welcome to a special edition of Chatterbox Reds presented by Betfred Sportsbook. Coming up in just a minute, Cincinnati Reds catcher Luke Maley joined off the bench with Tom Brenneman on Tuesday. We will play that interview in its entirety in just a bit. The Reds, of course, last week signed Maley to a $3.5 million contract extension for 2024 with a club option for 2025. Hopefully the first of many exciting moves this offseason for your Cincinnati Reds. I hope that you're enjoying the MLB postseason. I know that I am really looking forward to this World Series uh, with the Diamondbacks and Rangers starting on Friday. Then after that, it will be full speed ahead with Cincinnati Reds offseason talk in really what I expect to be one of the most exciting offseasons for the Reds probably in my lifetime. As we mentioned after Game 162, myself and Trace Fowler, we were taking a little bit of break during the playoffs. Uh, We did go live after all 162 games on YouTube, had podcasts up after every single game in the regular season and spring trading. So we uh, relaxed, recharging the batteries. Uh, Now I'm honestly kind of chomping at the bit. Can't wait to get back into uh, some Reds talk. Uh, We have some big plans coming up, so stay tuned for that. We'll, of course, announce all of that on our social media accounts, what we're uh, when we're planning to go live and all that kind of stuff. So make sure you're also subscribed to Chatterbox Sports on YouTube so you don't miss out um, and turn on the notifications so you'll be notified whenever we do go live. And we will, of course, have plenty of content in this podcast feed as well for you all offseason starting, of course, after the World Series. Before we get to the interview with Luke Maley, I did want to make sure I tell you about all the other great shows on Chatterbox Sports. Uh, While we're taking a little bit of a break, there's a lot of good content still going on. Of course, Off the Bench, 10 to noon, Monday through Friday. Uh, That was where this interview with Luke Maley was on. A lot of good guests, a lot of good conversation, 10 to noon. And then it's also available in your podcast feed. Everywhere you get podcasts, search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. It's usually up by about 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So really good for a drive-home podcast each day. Chatterbox Bengals is live after every Bengals game on YouTube. Uh, Very similar format to what we did with Chatterbox Reds, so be sure to check that out. There's also Chatterbox Clicker with Coach Kyle Kasky. That is Tuesday nights at 9 o'clock. Coach Kasky reviews the Bengals game film from the previous game. Really cool show, really cool concept. Um, It's gotten rave reviews. And then there's Mac and JT. That is Wednesday nights at 8.30 p.m., that's all things just NFL, talking not just the Bengals, but uh, around the NFL. Uh, those guys do a really great job. And then there's the Chatter Podcast. That's with Charlie Walter, formerly of Reds Live and comedian Houdini. Uh, that's a show where sports and comedy collide. They discuss all sports stories from a national and local level. That's available anywhere you get podcasts. And then Charlie Walter is also doing Chatterbox Bearcats, covering UC football and basketball Chatterbox Bearcats, available everywhere you get podcasts. And links to all those shows are in the episode notes below, so be sure to check that out, uh, all the hard work that those guys are doing. All right, well, without further ado, here is Cincinnati Reds catcher Luke Maley with Tom Brenneman on Off the Bench from Tuesday. 
Man, what a pleasure this is to welcome in Luke Maley. All right, all right, now, now, Luke, I know you're a local guy. Thanks for being with us today, by the way. Really, really appreciate it. Are you still living in northern Kentucky? No, so I was with, uh, I got drafted by Tampa Bay in 2012, and my wife's from the Northeast. We kind of bounced around for a few years. We lived in Boston. Um, I broke into the big leagues with Tampa, and we were ready to get out of the out of the snow. So we ended up coming down here. It was the next, it was as good as anything, right? I was trying to get out of the uh, cold weather. I was with the Rays at the time and the house you're looking at right now, we've done some work to it, but we've been here ever since. So uh, we make our way back up to Northern Kentucky quite often though. Uh, you know, it's it's an amazing journey for you, uh, Luke, and it's been well documented. I mean, fans really got to know you this year after you signed, roughly this time um, a year ago, and you went to Covington Catholic, and great player there, go to the University of Kentucky, great player there, uh, and then you get drafted, and you mentioned about Tampa Bay, but, but you know, then it takes you five years, uh, or five different teams, forgive me, uh, you go through a, different teams. You go through a lot of different injuries that hit you along the way at really some inopportune times. Not that there's ever a good time to get hurt, but it certainly kept you with maybe sticking with a team for the long haul. When you got your contract uh, that we talked about last week, and here you have a guaranteed deal with theoretically a second year attached to it, right? Um, you got to be pinching yourself, I would imagine. Oh, for sure. It's difficult to put into words just what the journey is like for a player like myself or anybody that's in kind of the platoon role or the backup role, which, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, I kind of resisted the idea of being one of those players for a long time, which I think is healthy and normal, um, especially when you're in your 20s and you were drafted and, you know, all the prospect stuff that comes out about you. But um, as I got older, I, I sort of embraced it more and more. Um, which is, you know, good and bad. I mean, it's good in that you start to be a little bit more comfortable with the role that your skipper is asking of you or your front office is asking. But it's also bad because you're going to have usually not quite as much job security, at least in general. So to have the years that I've had the last couple of years, namely the one in 2023 with Cincinnati, a team that I grew up loving and, and uh, wanting to play for, and then getting um, – you know, kind of a rare taste of some job security feels absolutely incredible, not just for me, but for my teammates and the city that I really care about. You answered the question. I mean, it was one of those moments where you'd say, duh, if I asked you if you grew up a Reds fan, although I don't know if you saw the story during the playoffs the other day when Zach Gallon's pitching uh, against Philadelphia, where he grew up outside of Philadelphia, but for some reason was a huge Cardinals fan. Go figure, right? The rest of his family, they're all Philly fans. So you were a Reds fan. Did you have a favorite player or two? Yeah, probably too many to name. Um, <laughs> the captain, Barry Larkin, was number one. He was there, um, you know, before I was even born. They won the World Series in 1990, and I was born a few months later. And um, so he was there the whole time. I always kind of idolized the idea of him being up the middle, the shortstop, the captain, all that stuff. Um, Ken Griffey Jr. coming over to Cincinnati was one of the more poignant memories I'll probably have as a Reds fan. That was just um, an absolute, you know, it felt like a national holiday in uh, in our small part of the world. Yeah. Um, so when he came over, the place, as you know, was just absolutely electric. And, you know, you can go on and on. Sean Casey was, um, you know, the mayor. He was there hitting so consistently for so long. 
Um, too many to name. I'm going to miss them, but uh, you get the idea. Oh, well, there's no doubt. I mean, those are all incredible names, and I think anybody that grew up around this area is a Reds fan. Those would be three guys, probably one, two, and three in any particular order. There were such great players and, and great in the community and all the rest of that kind of thing. You know, when when you signed with the Reds last year in the winter and, and you're coming into this year, uh, you know, look, let, let's be honest about it. I mean, this team had lost over 100 games um, for only the second time in the history of the franchise. And the two players that everybody thought were going to be kind of the regular mainstays, build the franchise around in the long haul, and that may turn out to be the case, were Jonathan India and the guy who was ahead of you on the depth chart in Tyler Stevenson. And obviously you guys are good friends and you spend a lot of time together. When all was said and done, were you, were you at times during the year just shocked at how much you were getting a chance to play? No, I wouldn't say shocked. I was I was really proud of the impact that I made, given probably what the expectation level had to have been. You know, the fact that we had three guys coming into the season, and and by no means am I knocking it. I think it's a it's very advantageous. And I've said this before: you see teams in the postseason use three catchers all the time, um, just because of how flexible you can be in late innings and with matchups and things like that. But um, you know, kind of to your point, I, I think that once I started playing pretty well, especially on the offensive side, I, I had some some really good at bats in May and uh, and had some timely hits, and so it yep. just felt good, man. And there's really no other way to put it; it just felt good. And um, I was just trying trying to stack good bricks one after another, and and it just so happened that I got a few more opportunities um, as the year progressed. There are a lot of the players that said, you've said that, you know, back in spring training when, when no one was giving the chance, uh, the Reds a chance to be even competitive, right? Coming off a hundred loss season. Was there something that you saw because you've been with other teams, you've been with some good teams, you've been with some teams that were not so good. Uh, was there something that you saw with the Reds in spring training, the, the, the group of people that were there uh, that, that, that made you kind of say, you know what, we might have a fighting chance here. You know, I always feel like any team that I'm going to be on, we're going to have a chance. And that, yeah. not to say that about me, but just this, these are major league players. So no matter where you are, you're always going to have a chance, number one. Now, it's kind of funny, and this is just um, how goofy the game can be sometimes. I think the number one thing I saw that made me think we would have a chance would be our big three in the rotation. And then you go into a couple months throughout the year, and all three of them are hurt or not pitching – as good as their potential probably is or was, or a combination of both. And here we are almost winning the division and at one point crossing over and leading the division. So it's just interesting how the game can work sometimes because uh, the bright spot, if you want to put it, was you know not even going as planned um, even in that regard. But the other thing that I will mention is speed. Um, I played in Cleveland in 2022, and the way that those guys ran the bases – um, and played hard and played for each other and just tried to keep the line moving offensively. I thought I saw a little bit, um, actually a lot of bit of that in spring training with the Reds in 23. And so I knew we were going to have a chance to be pretty good offensively, uh, even if we didn't necessarily drive the ball. You know, I, I had a chance to grow up uh, around the Reds organization. And I mean, heck, I've known Johnny Bench since I was 10 years old. Uh, and then later would broadcast the Reds games with him on TV and, 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 and when I would go to different functions, whether it was Reds Fest, uh, whether it was the Hall of Fame weekend uh, that they have every other year, 
I, I would always stand and just sort of marvel at bench for all the things he did as a player and arguably the greatest catcher that ever played the game all around 10, 12 gold gloves, MVP, blah, blah, blah. But, but the thing that always struck me was his incredible relationship with the pitchers on those teams. And even now, 40 years, 50 years later, you get him in a room with Gary Nolan, with Freddie Norman, with all the Jack Billingham, all these guys who are long before you, your parents were even born. Um, the relationship he still has with them to this day. You clearly had a unique relationship with this Reds pitching staff this year. For you, through the years, is there a, is there a two or three must sort of to-dos in building those relationships as a catcher? I think there for sure are. Um, I'm going to have a hell of a time trying to put them into words, I guess. But And I think the reason for that is um, it's going to vary. It's going to vary on, number one, what the catcher's personality is, and number two, which individual pitcher you're dealing with. But you know, as you were sitting there talking about John, um, and you know him far better than I probably ever will, but I did have a chance to talk to him. And, and the number one thing about him is just the presence. I think that when John walks into a room, even amongst Hall of Famers in the room, and um, I should say fellow Hall of Famers and um, old teammates, the big red machine, Johnny just has a presence about him where the voice, the charisma, the, the way he says things, it all just adds up to that's Johnny Bench. And I think as a catcher, although none of us are ever going to come close to the accolades from, at least most of us won't come close to the accolades of Johnny Bench, you can still have that presence about you and you can still command the respect of your pitching staff. And I think there's a creativity to it. I don't think it's universal. But um, he certainly has it, and I strive every day to have some semblance of it because I do think it's important. I'm kind of curious because I've always thought this, and I've never had a chance to ask somebody who's young enough to understand this question, and you are young enough. When I watched college baseball and you played in the powerful SEC, big-time teams, big-time coaches, big-time programs, big-time championships – But when I watch a game, a college game, and especially when they get to the World Series, it looks like the the head coach or manager is calling every pitch in and at bat, right? Signaling from the dugout to the catcher, catcher gives it to the pitcher, and the pitcher just whatever the catcher puts down, that's the way it is. Are you are you seeing repercussions from that as a young catcher working with really young pitchers now? Yeah, I mean, we could talk all day about this one, Tom. It's funny. I still get asked, even by you know people that I'm really close with, and they'll ask, "Hey, you know, why did uh, why did they call that pitch there in the seventh inning?" And then we're talking about a big league game that I'm catching in. I'm like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, well, you were looking in the dugout. I'm like, "Well, yeah, I'm looking in the in the dugout for run game stuff, but I'm the idiot that called the pitch." You know, they still think that we call pitches even at the major league level. And and I've tried to tell people, you know, the the last time that I was told what pitch to call was probably even before my junior year of college, because once my junior year of college happened, I got a little bit more free reign to do what I wanted. But anyway, to go back to what you were saying, 100%, I think it hurts. I think catchers have a way of kind of figuring it out um, a little bit quicker because we're going to be playing closer to every day. But as a, a starter that goes every fifth or sixth day coming out of college now, I think that the trust factor that um, could have been learned for three years in the college game, three or four years in the college game, I think takes a little bit um, 
longer to get acclimated to with their catcher because there's not that third wheel that's kind of implementing their ideas as well. And I think there's a communication and there's a style that you have to learn um, as battery mates that it's going to take a little bit more time once you get into Pro Bowl if you've never had it prior to it. So, again, these are that, that's kind of the basics of it, in my opinion. We could probably go into more, um, you know, intimate details right. on what happens and the consequences of it. But, yeah, there's, there's a lot to that for sure. Um, okay, uh, last couple of things I want to ask you about. Uh, and, and, look, everybody's different. But, but, but one thing they all are is young. And that's this group of starting pitchers. Uh, you, you knew about Hunter Green before the season started. We knew about Nick Lodolo. Uh, we knew about Graham Ashcraft. We did not know so much about Andrew Abbott. I mean, yeah, he'd been really good in the minor leagues, but we hadn't seen him in the big leagues yet. And Williamson, who comes over in a trade. For, for you know, without asking you each guy specifically, but if there was one thing that each of these guys would able to take from last year into this year, What's the next big step for those guys, do you think? Or, or young pitchers in general who are getting a chance to compete on a daily basis? And obviously, I'm putting the health issue aside. Good Lord willing, all those guys are back and healthy and they're doing all right. Yeah, I mean, where my mind keeps going when you ask that question is one thing has already been accomplished and it took me about six or seven years of my career before I had a chance to experience it. And that's they've played in meaningful games like really meaningful games already. They've had to pitch in games that are tight where we're stretching them out a little bit because our bullpen is, you know, in the position that they're in at the time, for example. Um, and we have to win this game because we're trying to pitch in October, play in October. So for them to be such young players and get a taste of that is they're so far ahead of the curve, you have no idea. Um, I think taking their game to the next level in all facets is important. But I think it's a lot of little things. I think it's controlling running game, which, you know, count on a catcher to bring that up first, I guess. But <laughs> it's important. And it's uh, if you watch the playoffs that are going on right now, 90 feet means a lot. And, you know, just because it's June on a Tuesday afternoon and not, you know, October under the bright lights doesn't mean that it's less important. So doing little things like that, fielding their position. Um, and then I just think, getting used to making pitches when you're tired or when you don't have your best stuff and and you're not able to kind of hide. Um, I think in the minor leagues, there's sort of this, well, if I don't get out of it, I'm not scheduled to go back out next inning anyway, so what? Um, whereas in the majors, it's it's obviously different than that. So just a lot of little things that add up to, to some bigger stuff. Did you come up with the nickname America's Team? That was more of a Will Myers thing. I got to tell you, I mean, okay, Will and I right. were kind of you've been given credit it. Yeah. for it. You know that. Uh, I know I've been given credit for it. I definitely spread it a little bit more because Will was banged up at the time. But Will, Will said it once. Um, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I I just started absolutely dying in the dugout. I was like, that's perfect. So we started kind of saying it together. But I definitely have to give him first dibs on that. I, I can't take full credit. All right. Well, I just wanted to get that story straight because I, I, I've seen where you got credit for it. I thought Jonathan India might have been a part of that whole thing. I didn't know. But they say that, uh, that you took over and just had such incredible leadership down in that clubhouse when they needed a guy who's 30-something, you know, to sort of navigate through this whole thing. Because, I mean, man, you know, most of those games, the last two months of the season, you're looking around at guys who are 21, 22, 23 years old at virtually every position on the entire field. It's amazing how much the game has changed. In 2017, I was with Toronto, and we were the, um, you know, on average, we were the oldest on average team in the big leagues. 
the following year, we were the youngest, um, just in a matter of a few months. And ever since then, it, it feels like I have just become a veteran virtually overnight and, and by default, mainly. Um, last year with Cleveland, I was the oldest position player on uh, the whole playoff roster. Um, it just it happens so incredibly fast. But to your point about the Reds, it's like you just kind of have gotten used to it. And there's a few teams left that still have, you know, quite a bit of veteran presence. But in general, anywhere you go, um, if you're 30 or over, you kind of feel like you're the outlier. So I just have gotten used to it, I guess. All right, last two things I'm going to ask you. Any rooting interest in the NLCS tonight, Game 7? None whatsoever. Uh, okay. I know I know a lot of guys on both teams. <laughs> you know, I really uh, – I will say this, it, it's cool that they're getting the chance to play that game in Philadelphia, which, um, you know, as you know, playoffs are always going to be important, but when you play it in a really special city like that that has so much passion, I think that's, um, that's an energy that you can't really match. Okay, last thing, uh, you have to be an armchair quarterback somewhere. What do you think of your Cincinnati Bengals? We talked about their schedule coming up here. I'm assuming you're a fan. Maybe I shouldn't assume that. No, what do no, you I, think I, of the Bengals here getting ready for this final 11-game run? Well, you've seen a lot of football in your day. I should probably ask you, but, you know, as an armchair quarterback kind of and prefacing it with, I haven't seen nearly as many snaps as I probably should have. We've been moving around quite a bit and, and all that, but I think that uh, Burrow looks uh, healthier from what I can gather. I think their offensive line has blocked a little bit better for him, and those two things pretty much have spelled um, – you know, the Bengals' success or lack thereof the last couple of years, right? So I think if they can protect Joe, um, good things almost always happen. They just have too many weapons. And I think the defense is real. I feel like they've played some really good defense. Yeah, again, you know better than I do. No, but, you're right. Uh, seeing, seeing a couple of highlights, I think the defense is a real defense and probably one of the more underrated parts uh, of the team. See, now what Pat McAfee has in Aaron Rodgers – we're hoping that this show off the bench moving forward down the road, we can catch up more with Luke Maley, and you can be like our guy. So one last question from Molly. She pays $5 in a super chat to know, Luke, would you rather hit a home run or throw out a really good base stealer on the base pass in a tight game? Uh, I, I would take throwing somebody out in a tight game. Hitting a home run, there's nothing like it. And uh, Lord knows that uh, – I don't have the most experience in the world hitting them, so I would love to hit more of them. But when you fire somebody out in a tight game, and that's kind of uh, why they give you the uniform, um, that one hits home a little bit harder, I got to say. All right. Luke, we can't thank you enough for your time today, man. I know it was a last-minute ask and everything, and uh, really, really appreciate it. And the best to you and your family during the offseason. We'll look forward to seeing you out in Goodyear, Arizona, come the spring. Sounds great, Tom. Great talking to you, and I'll come by anytime. All right, man. Thank you. Luke Mailey. Boy, that was great stuff.